Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's an old joke. I I know I'm not the first one to do it, but it's always kind of fun when you read something like in our gospel text, when you hear a lot about what Jesus is saying, where he's saying the law and the prophets and if you do this, then that will happen, and if this does, then that, you know, and then he says something at the ends of this where he says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the gospel. (laughs) It's always kind of fun for me. I don't know. Um, Maybe I get a little nervous and my stutter gets a little worse when I say that because I go, oh man, who's going to think this isn't the gospel? This is, this is law. This is things we should do, right? And we say, um, well, this is, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. And we do praise him for this word. Um, and it is the gospel because uh, it is from the word of Christ. He is speaking a word of law here. But, it, but there is a promise. And he says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That is the gospel right there. He comes to fulfill the law. But we as Christians don't just say, well, now that Jesus has come and fulfilled the law, I'm good. I can just hear that and then go on with my life and do whatever I want. Maybe people don't say do whatever I want, but that's kind of the implication, is it not? I can just go and I don't have to worry about things and I can just live my life as I was before. But dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is not to live as you have before. The Christian life is now to live changed, to live as a new creature in Christ. And we certainly get the gospel in Romans chapter 6, where we get some admonition from St. Paul when he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Um, someone pointed out in Bible study this morning in the King James Version, it says, God forbid, right? That is a strong, strong phrase to say, don't even think about it. Don't even go there. Just get it out of your mind. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. You are not the same person that you were before your baptism. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Luther used this text for the small catechism when he talked about baptism, and he says, daily when you rise, you should daily remember your baptism. 
Remember this, that every single day when you wake up, you are a child of God. You are baptized. You have the triune name placed on you in that great bath of baptism, that you are now not your own, you belong to God. And therefore, it means that you live differently. You do different things than what you did before because before you belonged to the world. Before you belonged to Satan. You were children of wrath, dead in your sins and trespasses, but now you are dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. But it doesn't end there. We have to continue on and say, what now? Because at one point, we might have been like those in the book of Acts, like um, the jailer who says, what must I do to be saved? And the people who heard St. Peter and his preaching on Pentecost and say, what must we do to be saved? Well, the, the flip side of that is that now, we, now that we have been saved by grace through faith, what shall we do now that we are Christians? What shall we do now that we are new creations in Christ? How shall we live? So with that, we have to go forward in our lives, in our day to day, and say to ourselves, how is it that I'm supposed to live now? If I'm not supposed to be like what the world wants me to be, how does God want me to be? And we only go this route because of what Christ has done for us, that his grace goes with us where we go, that what we do by his will has been blessed. We are freed from the guilt of sin and shame, and we go forward doing better than we did at the first, knowing that Christ has come, Christ has come to terms with you, he has come to terms with you in his cross in carrying your sin and your shame upon himself so that it would die there and be left there at the cross so that whatever comes after would be perfect and blameless and spotless and pure. Christ has come to terms with you so that you too might walk in the newness of life. In our Old Testament lesson for today was the Ten Commandments. And we see from the law, if we are to look at the law from a purely worldly standpoint, it's a lot of rules and regulations and rationale for why we should do what we should do for God. But we as Christians know that, that the law kills the sinful flesh. The law tells us exactly where we have fallen short, where we have sinned. The law accuses us always as those who have sinned and fallen short. And Christ says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is because the scribes and the Pharisees lived their lives according to the letter of the law. At least they thought they did, right? They thought that they, with all of their rules and the way and the extra rules between the rules to keep the rules, 
was going to save them. They thought that that was going to be what they needed to do to be saved. But that is not what must be done. What must be done is that your righteousness must exceed that of what the law demands, or at least what you think it demands. And thankfully for us as Christians, we who believe in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, are also made righteous through him, by his blood shed for us. That in him we are made righteous and pure and clean, and therefore our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and and the Pharisees. That by the righteousness of Christ, we will be granted that entrance into the kingdom of heaven. By Christ alone, we are saved, and by faith in him, we are healed. And in this, we see that the law is nothing to scoff at. The law must be fulfilled, and it is in Christ. And yet, the one who fulfills the law says a warning to us. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The law still matters for our lives. And that's why we have these theological distinctions of the first use, the second use, and the third use of the law. I'm not going to go into all those right now, but exact, actually not in depth. But the first use of the law is that it, it curbs our bad behavior. That all people have the law written on their hearts. That we inherently know that it is wrong to steal, it is wrong to It is wrong to commit adultery. It is wrong to to commit to commit uh, to commit murder. And so we have this as a curb for our world to keep those who would do those terrible things from doing them. The second use is a mirror. It shows us our sin. It tells us exactly how we have fallen short so that we would ask God for grace. And once he has been given us, once he has given us that grace and that forgiveness, then there is the third use as a guide. That now that we who have been set free from the consequences of sin, that is death, we who have been set free from the consequences of not keeping the law perfectly, we now see the law as a good thing. It's no longer that which oppresses us. It is something that we can say, Amen. By God's grace, I will do this. And it is good for us to see God's law as something that has been kept, and then by His grace, we keep it as well. Not perfectly, but by grace, we keep it. And therefore, we don't relax God's law. We don't make excuses for those who sin. We don't make excuses for ourselves when we sin and fall short. We're honest. And we say, 
Lord, I am a poor, sinful being. I justly deserve your temporal and eternal and eternal punishment, but for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy. Christ died the death that we should have died, and now through baptism we have been united with him in a death like his, so also we shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are already new creatures in Christ, and we now have still a battle with that old sinful flesh, the old self that still clings to us so closely. But Christ has won the victory, and we keep our eyes on him. We keep our eyes on his cross and know that we do not have to live in shame and guilt because of what he has done. So now that we who have died to sin and are alive to God in Christ Jesus, we can hear his word and do it and keep it by coming to terms with each other as as brothers in Christ and thus be and thus be reconciled and live in peace. What Christ says when he says, come to terms quickly with, with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. He is saying, come quickly with each other to terms with the fact that you might have sinned against your brother that you might have have caused some offense, some stumbling. And the coming to terms with each other means that you should humble yourself because Christ has come to terms with you. He has humbled himself on his cross and he has died for you. So therefore, if someone comes to you and says, you've sinned against me, the first response should not be, What are you talking about? I didn't do anything wrong. The response should be, what did I do? Please tell me, what did I do? And if what they've said is wrong or untrue, reason with them. Don't just call them a liar and walk away. They're your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, and say, well, maybe you misunderstood, or it seems like there's some sort of misunderstanding. Let's talk this out. And in that way, you humble yourself with your brothers and sisters. You humble yourself because Christ has has humbled himself. And sometimes it might be tempting to tell somebody, well, you can't always have it your way. But sometimes we need to keep that in mind for ourselves. We can't always be right. We can't always have it our way. But we can have it the way that God has granted to us. And that is through the way of peace, through understanding, through coming together, through entreating each other, through encouraging each other, talking, and using words of grace and peace with each other so that we would come to terms quickly and know that God rules our hearts and our minds now as baptized baptized children of God. This is the true this is the true, uh, the true 
excuse me, this is the true religion that our collect of the day prays for, which springs from the grafted love of God's name that is placed on us in, our, in, in, in the baptisms that we have been washed with. This baptism now saves you, not as a washing of dirt from your body, but as the promise of a clear conscience, of a good conscience in God's Sight And with that good conscience, take on the duty that is given to you who knows Christ. Knowing that Christ gives you the new life to do it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.